So, some of you were wondering if I was going to have you stand up and greet one another, right? But since you've all sat down, why don't we... No, I'm just kidding. You can greet each other afterwards, and we have plenty of fellowship that we can enjoy. Um, always here at Refuge, we, we have uh, coffee and water, and uh, we normally have snacks, and so we just encourage fellowship, because we know that the ministry um, continues on, and, and a lot of ministry uh, takes place afterwards. So this morning, we continue in the Gospel of Luke. We're in, in uh, chapter 6. Uh, we're covering verses 12 through 26 this morning. You know, this morning we're here to glorify the Lord. We're here to glorify Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He's our God. And as I was going through and studying this portion of Scripture, I was just reminded once again to just simply keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. How it is that he ministered to the multitudes as well as to those who were closest to him, his disciples. And we'll learn this morning about when he called, the moment he called the 12 apostles to the office of apostleship. And yet through this, what we'll understand is that what he desired is that we follow him into his kingdom. That is the very thing that he desires and still desires today. That we simply... Follow him. We love him. We trust him. We surrender to him and follow him right into his kingdom. Father, I ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would reveal to us your son, Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. It is he of whom you spoke in your word, saying there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, in whom we know the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, your grace demonstrated to us in that while we were still sinners, he, Jesus Christ, died for us. Oh, I ask, Father, that you would help us to see him for who he is. Lord, he offers salvation to all who believe in him. And so I ask that you would further establish that in our own hearts, that we would demonstrate a love toward him that expresses itself in obedience to you. And Lord, in that, we would also express that agape love towards one another in grace, in mercy, in long-suffering. Lord, that others may see the love that we have for one another and glorify you. And so, Lord, glorify yourself this morning, I ask. Speak to us, I ask. Lead us in your spirit and by your spirit. Lord, teach us all things that pertain to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
So we pray your blessing and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of this morning's message is Following Jesus Into His Kingdom. Let's begin by reading Luke chapter 6 in verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You know, Jesus said in Luke 4.43, as we have learned He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so I hope that we keep this in mind as we continue through this section of scripture and these events that we have before us, this event actually singular as we see that it all comes together. Let's keep this in mind And as we do, we know that as Jesus selects the 12 apostles and continues to travel, healing people of diseases and casting out demons, he was focused on preparing the people for his kingdom. That's what he was focused on. The healings and the deliverance of people from demonic oppression and possession was simply to prove that he was the son of man, the son of God, who came to, sh- to give his life, to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. But preaching the good news and teaching them how to distinguish between that which is good and that which is evil, between that which is truth and that which is false, between that which will lead to eternal life in heaven in that which will lead to eternal 
damnation in hell is what he came to teach and to distinguish, to make sure that we understood those things. You see, there are many things and people that the world follows today, but only one will lead you to the place God has intended for you and I to dwell for eternity with him in his glory. Any of you work in advertising, marketing? There are eight things that they know about you. Eight ways that they entice you and bring you into that place of buying or buying their product, pretty much. Eight desires that the world uses to bring us on their side. Here's the first one. Personal preservation. Enjoyment of life. Longevity of life. Think about these things, right? Think about the advertising that you're exposed to on a day-to-day basis. Secondly, anyone here enjoy food, beverages, entertainment? Number two. Number three, freedom from fear, pain, and danger. (laughs) Think about all those commercials. Four, sexual intimacy. Five, comfortable living conditions. Number six, I I said this is to be superior, but it's also having one up on the Joneses, right? And that's what it is. It's being superior to someone else. You know, you can be better than someone, your neighbor, if you only had this. Number seven, Care and protection of loved ones. And number eight, social approval. If you notice, these are the ways in which advertisers get you to buy into whatever they're selling. You probably thought in your own mind you had these pictures of some commercials that you were exposed to, some things that pop up on social media. They use what they know to be your biologically programmed desires to get your attention and feed on those desires by providing you with what you already want. That's what the world entices you with. It brings you right in. Listen, Jesus is not only correcting the religious leaders and their teaching that embellishes upon the word, But Jesus is also teaching the people the difference between good and evil, truth and false, heaven and hell. You see, those things in and of themselves are not good or bad. Those eight things that I listed, if in their proper context, will bring glory to God. For instance... The first on the list of the eight desires the world entices us with and its intents and motivations 
That, that first one was personal preservation, enjoyment of life, longevity, longevity of life. The world will have us focus on this in a worldly way with products that will help us survive in this world. Think about this, right? Survive in this world, enjoy this wor world, and live longer in this world. And if you want to be motivated in that way, look to none other than motivational speaker Joel Osteen. He will talk about your best life now. Listen, this is quite the opposite of what we are. We just read what we're going to go through this morning. Turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Now, I know up to this point, you probably haven't heard what you want to hear, right? Now, I see the path that he's going down. It's not the path that I'm going down. I'm simply pointing out the path that Jesus is going down. That, that's it. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus said, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, and my, of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. <clears throat> Listen, the reason why biblical teaching is not so popular is because it teaches the right perspective of the world and heaven. And it describes over and over again, helping us understand that there is a battle between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. They are distinct. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Oftentimes we want to take those desires of the flesh and then justify them to be something spiritual, something that is pleasing unto the Lord. And yet we know that the Apostle Paul wrote this as he was led by the Spirit as the very it is the very breath of God. It comes from God himself. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. If there is anything that is keeping you from doing those things that are pleasing to the Lord. Then rest assured that it is that which belongs to the flesh. And not of the spirit. 
when you frequent your local church that teaches the whole counsel of God's word, what will happen is that you will begin to see things differently. And that is rightly for what it is. And you will begin to see heaven differently. That is for what it truly is. You've, you've heard heaven described in certain ways when you're walking in the world and now you're exposed to the teaching of God's word and you begin to think, oh, wow. So heaven is not made up of soft, pillowy clouds with angels playing their harps. Or it isn't as it's described by people at funeral services saying that, oh, one day we will be up with you, brother in heaven, drinking a beer and playing a round of golf. Have you ever heard that? It's like, ooh, they, they haven't read the word. They, they, they obviously don't know the word, right? Listen, but when you come to Christ, those are the things that I thought of, I was ignorant about. I thought, well, you know, people say that, but that's just what they say. No, 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 listen, when you get exposed to the teaching of God's word, when you come to faith and you just sit under the teaching, just line by line, chapter by chapter, you begin to realize who God really is and what heaven truly is like in what Jesus came to do. His love for us. That's what we're exposed to. And what happens is your desire for one will diminish. And at the same time, your desire for the other will increase. Because in the process of learning and growing in the Lord, what will happen is that your desire for God will rise above everything else. Ultimately, what God desires is that you follow Jesus into his kingdom, into his glory, and not the world and the devil into eternal hell, eternal suffering. That is exactly what he came to save us from. Now, we'll get into Jesus' preaching in a few moments where he will preach the kingdom of heaven. And we read through that. A few of these verses, as he contrasted the kingdom of heaven with the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world. But let's begin with the selection of the 12 apostles. Again, at the top here in verse 12, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. You know, as we've learned, Jesus is at a point in his ministry where he is being followed, he's being watched, and he's being criticized by his enemies. They're trying to find anything that they possibly can to condemn him. And yet, again, focusing on our, t our attention on Jesus Christ, he remains determined in fulfilling his mission as sent by the Father to complete. Perhaps that is the only thing that you needed to hear this morning. 
that regardless of what you're facing, do not allow anything, any circumstances, anyone to take your eyes off of Jesus and put them on your problem. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus and live to bring him glory. And yet we look to Jesus and this is what was happening. This is that that part in his ministry to where this begins to happen in a very outward way. They They were trying to find some fault in Jesus, which we know that they'll find zero in him for he's blameless, he is sinless. And yet he remains determined in fulfilling the will of the Father. And so... Because he is focused on that, he chooses the 12 apostles who are given the office of apostleship. An apostle with a lowercase a is one who is sent. But this is the office of apostleship. They were to be personally prepared by Jesus and sent to be his witnesses to the world, according to Acts 1.8. Jesus did this with no one else except for Paul, as we can make reference to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, as we read before selecting the 12, Jesus secluded himself, went up on a mountain, and spent time with the Father in prayer, as he would do so often, spending time with the Father, seeking his will, aligning himself with the Father. And he did this all night. All night, just spending time with the Father. And in the morning, he came down. He called unto himself his disciples and chose the twelve. This was in accordance with the Father's will. Now, the disciples, this is uh, what disciples actually are. The disciples are learners. They are students. Um, Today, we would think of students, those who are learning to be in school, right? Whether they go to a college, a university, seminary, wherever it is that they go, to high school, middle school, elementary, those are students, those are learners. But this is not what they were in that sense. It was more than just studying a subject or a series of subjects, It was more about studying the teacher. If you understand the teacher, then you will understand what is being taught. Why it's being taught, the way it's being taught, and then how to handle it. That's why as you read scripture, as you study scripture, that's why I keep telling you, keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on God. Look at his character. Look at his attributes. Keep your eyes on him. Follow him closely. Consider him. Sometimes we get lost in, in uh, the historical narrative, let's say, in the Old Testament. And, and we, we, it's good to do these character studies, but it's most important and more important to do a study character, a character study of God himself. If you understand the teacher, then you will understand what he is teaching, the purpose of it, and how it is to be applied. You see, even today, we ought to pay close attention to the giver of the scriptures, 
as we study the scriptures. Again, his attributes, his desires, his reasons, his intentions. And so let's pay close attention to the master and what pleases him. You know, when you, when you learn the master, you can anticipate what he will be blessed with, what will glorify him. In situations, have you ever worked so closely with someone that you get to a certain point to where you anticipate and, and, and you're, you're almost, you're, you're working in harmony and sync together. It, it's awesome. When a team does this, it is absolutely beautiful. It's awesome to watch. Uh, professional sports, you see this happening. You know, these... Uh, whether it's baseball or football or soccer, soccer, I've, I have, I've come to the place of just loving how it is that they work together. If one moves this way and he sees the other one moving behind him, he knows that he's going to go for the goal in the corner. And so the other one will go the other way and cross it. And it's absolutely beautiful. Even more so is when people work in harmony in the fellowship of the saints. How beautiful it is when the, when the brethren dwell in unity. That's the unity that God is referring to. It's not just being in the same building and physically and just in proximity. It's being of one mind, being of one spirit, working together in such a way that there is harmony. And it blesses the Lord. But we will only get to that point as children of God when we pay close attention to our master and know what pleases him. This is what a disciple was in that day. Watching the master. Watching the rabbi, the teacher. And it's actually what it should be today. As we make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us, his word. One day, these men that were selected will be filled with the Holy Spirit and will know how to witness to the world of who Jesus is and how he is the way and he, how he is the truth and how he is the life, the only way to the Father. That is what we should all be working toward. Working together to evangelize and to lead others to Christ. And then to raise them up in the Lord. Teaching them how to be disciples. Well, they were selected. Simon, who, whom he named Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, who was called the zealots, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Verse 17, it says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Come all. 
This is, this is what we see here. Come all. They're all coming to hear and be healed by Jesus. Now, notice one thing. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't stop them. He said, come. Come all. As Jesus came down with his disciples... After having selected the twelve, he came to a, a level place. I can't help but think of the imagery there. They're all on, on the same level. Everyone there. Not that Jesus is on the same level, but he lowered himself to that place with you and I. Willingly. That's truly amazing. But this is a picture of today to where he brought them with him to serve alongside him. We are co-laborers with Christ. That, to me, is mind-boggling. That we are working with him. Remember, we are, we, are, we are working for him. We're serving him. But he calls us alongside, just as these 12 were called alongside to work together, again, as, as a team, and they were learning from him as he ministered. And so they were all present with him and available to Jesus as Jesus had need. Remember, again, I remind you, they were learners. They were students of the teacher, being prepared by watching him and participating in various situations. They were being prepared for what lied ahead. In that moment, they were being taught. They were being shown. It was being demonstrated to them. And so we must look at this as we are present and we are learning from him. What, what does he do? How does he handle this? Now, I do want to say, perhaps as we went into some of the Beatitudes, that because some people thought and some scholars believe that this is an event that happened, it was not the Sermon on the Mount. It was in a different place. And others believe that this was the Sermon on the Mount. That there was a level place in, in that location where Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 5. Now, my intention is not to convince you this morning one way or the other. But simply to teach what Mark had written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For our benefit and the furtherance of the gospel as the Holy Spirit gave him. These words. Because really what's important is what we see here is that when Jesus came to this place with his disciples, a great multitude of the people was following him from all over. They continued to follow Jesus for reasons other than to hear the gospel, though. Again, I, I point this out because it's super important for us to understand Jesus was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, for this was the purpose he was sent for. And yet these people were coming. For what reason? To be healed. To be delivered from demonic oppression and possession. That's why they were coming. They were, they were coming to hear him teach, because he's, remember he taught with authority, his own authority. They've never heard anything like this. A man teaching in his own authority? And so we, we must take into account the fact that he did not rebuke them 
And he did not send them away because they had it all wrong. Instead, he welcomed them. And he healed them. And he delivered them from demonic oppression to show that he had the authority and the power to do so. That they would believe that he is the Son of God. Remember, we ought to reflect the same character. We need to remember that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. And he said that we will find rest for our souls when we come to him. And so it was with the multitudes that had come to him. But they were about to hear Jesus preach the kingdom of God. And in that, teach them the difference between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. You see, this is true of many today. People come for various reasons to heal them of illnesses, to restore broken marriages, to deliver them from addictions, to help them with the stresses of life. And again, Jesus, being gentle and lowly in heart, receives and desires that you find rest for your souls as you surrender yourself to his care and choose to follow him, coming to know salvation in him. And it's with this that he lifted up his eyes on his disciples with everyone, the multitudes there. They were witnessing this, what was about to happen. Verses 20 through 23 is an encouragement. Verse 20 says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when, all, when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. What we see here at the very beginning is how he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. And so his focus, he was addressing them. And yet in their hearing, we, in, in the hearing of everyone else, is their teaching, is his teaching on and for his disciples. He is teaching them, giving them a lesson on the contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Jesus is preparing them for what was to come. This was encouraging Jesus' disciples, teaching them how to be faithful, and also teaching all who were listening the difference between what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to follow the world. There is much more that Jesus will teach and show his disciples Leading up to, and this is what he said in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He begins by saying, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The word blessed 
is a word that means to be happy with the implication of enjoying favorable circumstances. Favorable circumstances. Think about that. James writes in James 1-2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. When you fall into various trials, are you still blessed? Are you happy? If you're happy and you know... And so is that, is that really what is at the heart of this? Because it's interesting. Because of what blessed, a blessed man is described as being as followers of Jesus Christ. Again, the difference between the world's definition and God's definition. That's important. Because the key to understanding this is where a person's focus is placed. This world or the next? Heaven or the world, which is the same as heaven or hell? The spirit or the flesh? Jesus or self? The world will have you focus on self, the flesh, the world, this world. So being happy or happy is a person who is not... In today's way, in the world's way of thinking of happiness, that is comfort, pleasure, ease, entertainment. It's not in those things. But rather in the godly sense, the biblical sense of being satisfied with having God, that he is enough. Knowing salvation and looking toward eternity with God in his glory. The word blessed, you see, also, when applied to God, has a sense of praise. In that place where you are content and satisfied with God, your eyes are fixed upon Him, no matter what circumstances you're faced with. You know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Your eyes are squarely on and fixed on Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of your faith. We can, in that moment... Know that we are blessed, we are happy in the Lord, that no matter what comes against us, we are not crushed, we are not despondent. We have been crucified with Christ, therefore we have been raised to new life in Him. And we are victorious over sin and the grave in Christ. Therefore, what can come against us? It's that person that can praise God. And we can because he is our delight and he is the fullness of our life. He said, blessed are you who are poor. Happy is the man who acknowledges that he is bankrupt in spirit. He has nothing to offer. He is in a state of poverty as it pertains to having Absolutely nothing to, to offer God ex except himself. Well, what do we have to offer to God? You know, in return for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the salvation we have come to know, the only thing we can offer him is our obedience. That's it. It's a response to his love. 
Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's an expression of our love toward him. Just keep my commandments. It's not to win you salvation. It's a result of knowing him and his salvation. When you look to Jesus for everything, he will show himself faithful to provide you with everything you need. In fact, in Matthew 6.33, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Trust in Jesus for your spiritual fullness, wholeness, and you will have the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Let me ask you this. Think about this. What do you hunger and thirst for? What is, what is your mind fixed upon? What is it that you think will satisfy you, and yet you have realized that it hasn't and it won't? You see, happy is the man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for that man, that woman, will be satisfied, content. The man who desires to satisfy his hunger and thirst with a life that blesses God by being obedient to his word and walks in righteousness and is set apart for the, for the glory of God will be satisfied. You see, in his heart, there will be peace. That's why the Apostle Paul could write to the church in Philippi, telling them that in Christ, this is, this is what is realized. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's why he could, he could say that to the brothers and sisters that were there at the church. Because why? Because they were already in Christ. Only hunger and thirst for righteousness. For you shall be satisfied. You'll be set apart for God's glory. You'll be satisfied and you'll have peace in your heart. A righteous hunger will lead to a divine satisfaction. That's beyond comprehension. Blessed are you who weep now. For you shall laugh. Those who weep are those who are low and needy. As a person acknowledges their sin and its effects. Have you ever humbled yourself? Have you ever grieved over your sin? This is what Jesus is referring to. Grieving over your sin. You know your own heart. You know, you know the darkness that can come about. Hatred, anger, bitterness, jealousy, resentment. All of these things adulterous thoughts, all of those things, that should actually drive us to grieving. As we grieve those things, it should humble us before the Lord. There should be points in our lives to where we just, we weep. We are so filled with sorrow because at the same time we're filled with gratitude to the one who saved us. Those who grieve their own sin will one day laugh in God's presence for all eternity. It is good when we consider who we are in the presence of 
our holy and righteous God. Psalm 30, verse 5, says, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. You see, Jesus again was preparing them. Jesus was telling his disciples that they would be hated, excluded, reviled, and accused of being evil because of him and because they were obeying God's commandments. But again, he was preparing them because this ought not deter them from continuing, but rather they should jump for joy. That's what they were telling them. Leave for joy. Jump for joy when these things happen. Did they do that? If you read through the book of Acts, you will see what they, how they responded to those things. That's how we should be responding to those things. Why? Because they acknowledge, and Jesus was preparing them, to, hey, acknowledge that your reward in heaven is what you're looking forward to. It's... It's so much greater than anything this world has to offer. Any accolades or prizes or anything is not worth even comparing to what we have in heaven awaiting us there. Being rejected in the world will lead to being accepted in heaven if it is on account of belonging to Jesus. And with this, Jesus presents the contrast, the warnings. If you note how the blessings and the woes can be lined up, the first blessing with the first woe, and so on and so forth, all the way through. Be warned. Woe or condemned is this man because he remains in himself, or he continues on saying, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. These things can keep you from the kingdom of God, and that's what he was warning them with. It's a warning of those who trust in riches and don't think that they're bankrupt of anything, but that perhaps God is affirming them in their riches. That's a dangerous place to be. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16 is the story of the rich young man it says, and behold, a man came, to, came up to him saying, teacher, what good, good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. 
what then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the, the last first. You see, I am focusing on the first one because with that follows the rest. To trust in anything other than the righteousness of Christ for salvation is to be a fool. And that's what Jesus was telling them. Whatever it is that the world is offering to you is nothing. You see, in a way, you could say that Jesus was mocking the world's values because they were being exalted and yet he knew they were nothing, absolutely nothing. They actually led to death, lead to death, and are of no heavenly value whatsoever. They offer something that is in contrast to what God offers. It is a counterfeit to what is of eternal value, and that is salvation. Come as you are. Learn from Jesus. Come follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we saw, those who came, came as they were. That is not how Jesus desires for you to stay, though. Any, anybody who preaches from, the pulp, from a pulpit, who says, come as you are and stay as you are, is a false teacher. That is not what the Word of God teaches Come to Jesus, know his salvation, and then be sanctified. Be set apart unto him. Glorify him. Be holy, for I am holy, is what he says. Whereas the world says, you be you. Follow the world. Be happy. Love yourself. Come as you are, but then learn from Jesus, for he is lowly and gentle in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Come follow Jesus. Mark 8, 34. says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, and this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." Will you profess him or will you deny him? That's, it's only one or the other. I don't know why you came this morning. 
It may have been because of a broken marriage. It may have been because of a broken family. Addictions. It may have been for a number of reasons. The Lord is not turning you away. The Lord is glad that you're here. But the purpose of you being here is for you to, number one, surrender all of that to the Lord. Have you found happiness in any of that? Ongoing satisfaction? I know for a fact that you have not. I tried those things. I know that there's no contentment, no happiness in any of that. I am so glad that when I came to Christ and I was listening to the word of God being preached and I wanted all these things fixed, I realized that those things drew me to him. But it was one thing that he was offering. And that is forgiveness of my sins. That broke me. And with that, little by little, as he revealed himself to me, oh, I loved him more and more and more. The world began to fade away. And I just simply desire to just bless him and serve him and walk with him. And I look forward to the day in which I am with him in glory. I pray the same for you. I hope the same for you. That that's your desire. Are you poor in spirit? I hope that you are. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you grieve over your sin that grieves the heart of God? Don't worry about the world hating you for Jesus' sake. Don't worry about that. The world isn't for you. The world is against you. But Jesus loves you and tells us that our reward in heaven is greater than anything that the world has to offer. Do you believe that? Will you come to Jesus and walk with him? If so, I pray that you respond to him this morning. Whether you need to recommit your life to the Lord or for the first time surrender your life completely. Trusting in Jesus, his death on the cross, his shed blood paid for your sins in full. Believing that he not only paid for your sins on the cross, but he was victorious over the grave as he was resurrected, ascended, today sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your, your goodness, for your love, your grace. Your salvation. Lord, I pray that you would, oh Lord, draw us unto yourself. As we have in our own minds and our own hearts, Lord. uh, Just the reality of the Savior who was willing to go to the cross on our behalf. Lord, may we acknowledge our own sin. Confessing those, those sins and, and asking that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord, and that you would save us. We believe on Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God who died for our sins. And so, Lord, we, 
I ask, Father, that you would move, Lord, that you would do a work this morning, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that if we're lukewarm or compromising in our lives, Father, that today would be the day of repentance, Lord, that we would return to you. And, and Lord, be zealous for your glory. So, Father, may you uh, move in each heart. May you accomplish whatever it is that you desire to accomplish, whether it be salvation or just a, a renewed zeal for you, a passion for you, a love for you. I thank you, Lord, for this time and pray this all in Jesus' name.